0: Explode your to-be-read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash newreleases. That's bookriot.com slash newreleases. Happy browsing!
1: Welcome to the Book Riot Podcast. This is a bonus episode. We are book clubbing The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which came out earlier this month. This title was selected for us by members of Book Riot Insiders. And I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here not with Jeff this week, but with some of our editors at Book Riot, Sharifa Williams and Vanessa Diaz. Hi. (laughs) Hey, thanks y'all for joining me um before we jump right into the book let's take a moment for our first sponsor
0: explode your to be read pile with the new release index your new best friend for finding the best new books Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com newreleases new releases. That's bookriot.com newreleases new releases. Happy browsing!
1: Okay, so usually the way that we do these is broadly talk about what the book is about, then we'll take a break and then we'll do spoilers galore. <laughs> so <laughs> how does that sound to y'all?
2: This Sounds is one of those good. books for sure that there's like no way to do without spoilerificness, so yeah. yes, let's do
1: that. Yeah, and I don't know how we're going to do like 40 minutes of book clubbing without a whole bunch of spoilers. Um, so let's just start with did you guys like it?
2: Oh, my God. I yes. loved it. I loved it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm.
1: I loved it, too. And I had to remind myself how freaking young Brit Bennett still is. I <laughs> don't, don't talk
2: about it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: like, this is her scary.
2: second book, right? <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. And The Mothers was so stunning. I think she was like 26 maybe when The yeah, Mothers came out debut, a couple of years ago. When
2: it was just, I honestly went into this with feelings because I thought there's no way she's going to eclipse that. I really loved yeah. The Mothers. It's one of my favorite books of, you know, that year. She did it. She really did. It's impressive.
1: I think so too. Yeah. And The Mothers was one of those debuts that feels like not a debut. Nope. Yes. It You know, didn't have a lot of debut novel problems. It was really masterful, so creative. And to have done this, like, this is just such a, I think, a big step in an already big career, which is really impressive. Yeah,
3: for me, like, I go into some, for a book like this where I sort of know the premise, I tend to go into it a bit hesitantly because sometimes it can get really, like, the language can be, can bog things down as well as the actual really difficult content and storytelling. Mm. And I definitely, I found this to be a complete page turner. And even though, of course, I I read it with some trepidation and fear, especially with the current climate and everything going on in the world, I could not stop reading it. And I just found myself completely enjoying the experience.
1: Yeah, I was also concerned about what reading it was going to be like in the middle of this what, uprising mm-hmm. movement. What I don't know what best word we want to use for it. Like we're thinking and talking about race all day long right now, as we should be. And I was having this moment of like, do I really want to also spend my fiction time? Like, can yeah. I even spend my fiction time doing this? But it it was so compelling. Um, Sharifa, you mentioned you knew the premise going in. I somehow managed to go in like completely cold. So tell me a little bit more about what you knew going in and what you were expecting.
3: The only thing I really knew about going into it was that there was a big theme of passing. And I had read, I've read a couple of books, but way back in college, like Nella Larson. And I believe uh, Charles Chestnut also did a book about passing. And I I remember both of those books being really hard reads, really yeah. um, mm. unhappy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that is the part of it that I latched on to. I, I think I sort of knew it was about sisters. I don't think I knew it was about twin sisters. And books about sisters are like, that is, that is nectar to me. In terms Mm -hmm. of books and plots. So that part of it I was really excited about. Uh, It was the part about passing because when I was seeing this come up a lot, it was was actually on Instagram because for a while everybody was reading it. You know how it goes with buzzy books and because Brit Bennett is such a popular Mm -hmm. author – that was a big one um, among books to grammars. And so I was trying specifically to avoid reading too much because I can't necessarily count on people not to spoil things. But it was the passing part that really uh, gave me some thoughts.
1: Yeah. What did you know about it going in, Vanessa?
2: I'm in a um, not weird position so much. It's just I I do the new release, you know, videos for Mm -hmm. Book Riot. So I... Not that I, you know, obviously know the premise of every single book, but I was go, I was always <laughs> going to talk about the Brit Bennett book, so I knew a decent amount about it. But I feel like, so you know, we haven't necessarily completely said the basic premise, but you know, we we find out that there's the two Veens sisters grew up in this small town called Mallard, and we know that one of them has left, and well, they both leave. We know that one leaves never comes back, and that she, you know, essentially decides to live her life as a white woman. And the, the other comes back to the town never hope thinking she never would. And, and now with a daughter escaping uh, like a marriage situation. But even if I just gave you that bit, I really feel like it doesn't do anything to spoil. Like it's, it's so much deeper than that <laughs> in every way. Um, so even though I knew that, I just, I don't know. I felt like I almost didn't know much about it, even though I did, you know, like a 10 minute video about <laughs> what this book was ostensibly about. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I was I was trying to think about how to give the like elevator pitch for this. And it starts with exactly what you said. Like there are these twin sisters in a small town, Louisiana, Mm -hmm. like they're, you know, a couple hours from New Orleans. The town is founded by a black man who is so light skinned that he looks white, but he will never be treated as white so he founds this place for people like him where lightness is celebrated like everyone is light and that's intentional it becomes like the purposeful inheritance of of the folks who live there and then these twin sisters leave one one decides to live her life passing the other one what's the line is like um that Stella became white and Desiree married the darkest man yep, she mm-hmm. could find. Uh, and and Desiree's daughter, Desiree comes back to town and she has this daughter who whose skin is so dark that she's described by the townspeople who are watching them like walk through town um, as being like blue black. Um, so we know from the like first couple of pages that this is about like, you know, it's Britt Bennett, you know, it's going to be about race, but it's also about colorism mm-hmm. and like the construct and concept mm-hmm. of race and how that's tied to place and identity and man passing i was thinking what a like deficit my own like english major education had here because the only novel that i had read in school that dealt with passing was by philip roth which is the <laughs> human stain <laughs> which lady, <sorry. laughs> I know, like everything about that last sentence, kind of tells you that that's a difficult reading experience for a lot of, <laughs> a lot of reasons. But de- but not a voice from that community, not a voice from the black community to even have experience there. That um, it made me wonder how familiar or not this concept is to a lot of readers.
2: Yeah, I would venture to say nowhere near as familiar. But yeah, I would, Sharifa, you would weigh in.
3: I think I do think that the general concept of racism is way more (laughs) familiar to people than either passing or colorism. I don't think there are as many conversations and there are as many books that kind of go into that conversation. And I, I feel like a lot of people's education is just beginning in terms of racism. So I... Can see how getting into getting deeper into it with things like passing and colorism are difficult concepts to grapple with, and because of that, perhaps we haven't seen as many works come out that cover those topics. Mm -hmm. So, as much as I was hesitant about reading this, this is the first time I have come across something that was so specifically about passing. And colorism within the Black community in terms of contemporary fiction, because, you know, again, my only two examples of that were very classic fiction read in a very academic environment. That was a specifically, Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) African-American literature studies class, because that was literally the only time I ever read, like, works by Black authors in college as an English major, so... Yeah, I don't think people, and I could be wrong, but I do not think readers are generally as familiar with those two concepts.
1: Yeah. Listeners, we're curious if there are other books that you've encountered, especially contemporary, I think Mm -hmm. you're right, Sharifa, um, that handle this. We'd love to hear about them. So you can email us, podcast at bookriot.com. I feel like this definitely owes A Debt to the Bluest Eye Mm -hmm. by Toni Morrison Mm -hmm. and the work that she she does there. That was the first novel um, that I read that dealt with the idea of colorism and what internalized racism looks like in the black community. Um, And I'm sure that there are others, so much contemporary black fiction grows out of inspiration by Toni Morrison because how, how could it not? Yes. <laughs> like, how, how can anybody be writing today and not thinking somewhere in the back of their minds about uh, about Toni Morrison and about moving this conversation um, up into a contemporary moment? I guess this is a good place to pause before we jump into like real details and a bunch of spoilers, so let's take our next sponsor. All right. So it's interesting that we talk about this as contemporary because it's published in 2020, but the book is set between 1968 and 1988. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in that for both the cultural moment that the story happens in, but also because it's a lot harder to just leave town and take a whole new life on now than it would have been (laughs) 40
2: or 60. I had to remind myself of that a few times. Like remind, because I mean, obviously there are lots of, little drops that'll indicate to you what year it is so it's not like you'll completely forget it but so much of the story is so universal and obviously of the moment that I had to remind myself a couple times that like no you're not I I would think like well just pick up the phone or like just show her a picture like stuff like that I'm like wait no that isn't nearly as easy to do as you know now as it was (laughs) at the time so yeah totally
1: yeah and then like we start in 1968 just like three years really after civil rights has hit its peak Mm -hmm. and this is with learning that the girls have been gone for 14 years. So they really left um, when maybe that was just beginning to be a public conversation and they've gone to new Orleans where Stella gets her first like real taste that she could pass as white. And she hatches this secret plan to go off and, and live her life that way, and we learn in in the first part also that one of the reasons that the girls want to leave is this pain that they're holding on to of having watched mm. their father be killed by white men um, for being too good at his job. and we never really know more than that, but that this is how the girls explain it to themselves um, and that playing white was the way to get ahead, and that it's just I think there's a line where it says like that's just good sense. And I'm curious, um, Sharifa, about the... I haven't read the um, the two novels that you mentioned having read in school that deal with passing, but I was really struck by how much empathy and how much humanity Brit Bennett gives the women on both sides of this story, that she gives the readers reasons to understand why someone would want to pass as white and also why the folks who continue to live as black and aren't attempting to pass as white might have judgment about that and resentment and maybe jealousy. It's so complex Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. felt like Bennett does a really nice job there.
3: Yeah, I mean Stella is such a fascinating character in that knowing that she was the one who was going to sort of represent this really complex conversation around passing and what it means to claim privilege in that specific way. I... Mm. I didn't know where Brit Bennett was going to take that, whether she would become mm-hmm. this tragic figure who was martyred for her choices. But I also thought it was really interesting, the initial framing of Stella, having had this really, truly terrible experience of watching, as you mentioned, her father being murdered. And it's... It would be easy to see how the idea that no matter how light you are, no matter how much you may pass in the town of Mallard, or you may strive for a certain level of lightness because of your community, to know that even with that sort of sense of protection by way of the color of your skin, somebody like her father could still be murdered because of racism because he is still considered mm. black. And so for Stella, who also it's mentioned has these nightmares she doesn't really remember and she doesn't really want to talk about um, to know that that affected her in such a traumatizing way. It kind of sets you up to consider deeply why she makes the choices she does so that you're not right off the bat like what a horrible decision she made yeah like why did she make Mm -hmm. this decision she is a terrible villain in this story like you don't really get that sense right off the bat
1: yeah and pat her life as passing for white isn't easy like it looks like it is from the outside and I thought that was one of the most interesting things about the choice to have her like marry a rich white guy and live in Brentwood Mm -hmm. and be attending like that we meet Stella in her new life when they're at the like homeowners association meeting trying to decide what to do about the black family that wants to move into the neighborhood and will it be allowed or not but we see like from the first moment that we see her inside that life, we can see that she's she's still carrying all of that trauma and that she's still terrified of being found out. Like, that this is not an easy secret to carry. It's very lonely and... I think there's a line in that section – I think it's in that section where Britt Bennett tells us that even back in New Orleans, Stella was terrified of being discovered but almost more afraid that she wouldn't be. And she's like – as she befriends Loretta, um, the woman in the black couple that move into their neighborhood, I think we see her like playing with that line of – desperately trying to keep the secret but also kind of desperately trying to be discovered or to like walk right up to it and see what might happen what her life might be like because now she's seeing it would be possible it's not easy to be this black woman who moves into the neighborhood either but it would have been possible to maybe continue her life as a black woman and still end up in this place that is shiny from the outside and very ugly Mm -hmm. in the details
3: yeah definitely that whole Dynamic between Stella and Loretta. I was on the edge of my seat the whole oh time. Gosh, yeah. And yeah. that was that the moment where time. I was like, this is truly poisoning Stella, the secret she's keeping. Mm. And the way she responded to her child playing with Loretta's daughter, and how, mm. you know, Kennedy, Stella's daughter, learned the N word from her mom that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is a, like, this is what this is turning you into. Like, you have to protect Mm -hmm. your privilege by being the oppressor, by acting out against your own community. And that was hard, hard to watch or read. Yeah.
2: No, I agree. Britt Bennett has a very, I think, particular way of putting some pretty like, emotionally wrecking things on the page in a way that at once I think really, I mean, it is emotionally wrecking, but she also does this this very, I don't know, specific kind of restraint that I almost find doubly affecting in that mm. way, because she's not necessarily, I, I don't know, she just has these, like, sparse words, and yet in that scene in particular, my eyes welled up a little bit, and then years yeah. later, you know, which... I don't think is, well, whatever, we're in spoiler territory, but when Kennedy is, you know, reflecting back and remembers that scene, how she says that she doesn't know what jarred her more, like the fact that her mother slapped her, or like the kisses and tenderness and apologies Mm -hmm. that came later. Mm -hmm. She just gives us, yeah, the, the nuance and, like Sharifa said, like the fact that it was poisoning her is just so evident in a way that, you know, in one moment you kind of want to shake her because she's just being so awful, and then you realize that it obviously comes from a place of a very deep hurt.
1: Yeah, it's like cinematic in those scenes that are so memorable, but also does that I think restraint is the perfect word does that restrained thing that books can do so much more easily, I think, than film like I kept kind of seeing this as a movie in my head and then being like, you know what, I'm actually kind of terrified of this being adapted (laughs) (laughs) for the big screen, because there's so much going on internally that like it could be done really well, but to do it really well would be very difficult. And she's showing us in this life that Stella lives in this like perpetual terror of being found out how these oppressive systems are bad for even the people who are ostensibly in power in them and benefiting from them that like the white supremacy that we see in Stella's life and all over the page here isn't named as white supremacy, but it doesn't have to be for us Mm to recognize that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, poisonous even to the white people or to the people who are passing as white like to benefit from that privilege um and i i think this is one of those books that has the ability to get through to people about that idea in a way that like handing them you know a 600 page history book about racism in america like might not do because the story is so powerful
2: yeah, yeah, I wanted to put this in a few people's hands. In particular, the, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her husband's name right now. Uh starts with a B. Desiree's husband. Oh, Blake. Blake there you go. Yeah. Um, there were moments, and I, you know, very, very fleeting, but where he would say something that was sort of to, like, rein her in from speaking about, you know, Loretta or whoever. And I found mm-hmm. myself thinking, like, oh, he's not that bad. And then Ugh. immediately going, no, no, like because um, obviously was <laughs> like the most terrible train of thought ever. Um, but I do think that that's a really powerful message about niceness not being enough, which is a message mm-hmm. I would really love to put in a lot of people's hands that, you know, all of his ostensible ni- niceness really did nothing to curtail any of the complete, the system of white supremacy that he was clearly benefiting from and also enacting. Um, and again, I just think that's one of Brett Bennett's kind of particular kinds of prowess is she just sort of sneaks these things in ways that aren't necessarily like yeah striking you over the head the way a history book might but that maybe is how people need to experience it
3: yeah I think so yeah. I, I feel like there are especially now when there are a lot of people talking about like anti-racist reading and what that means and what that looks like and with fiction what does that look like as well and to have somebody like Stella's husband uh, where he has that relationship with you know, Loretta's husband, where he'll wave across the street and Stella will see him and think like, oh, this is, she's uncomfortable because it looks like they have some sort of very, very loose friendship. It's not even a friendship. It's just a waving to a neighbor sort of situation. And then to know that he is literally doing nothing to make that couple feel more welcome within Mm -hmm. the company of neighbors who are white and who are mm-hmm. making you know arguments against why they should even be there and then later acting out against them in truly horrible ways throwing bricks into their window they are not doing like even for all of his waving across the street there is nothing he does to stop that inciting of hatred and racism and he participates in it himself
2: and he constantly yeah. says stuff like, you know, well, don't worry, they won't be a problem. Not because you know they're regular humans who deserve that consideration, but just like, oh, they know better. Like, don't worry, like they won't make a stink. Like, why would they? Wouldn't you know? He, oh, he, it, it really is awful. It's just sometimes on that sentence level, it can be easy to maybe like let him off the hook for a few seconds. But no, he's just, you know, it's that's not it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's intentional on Bennett's yeah. part too—to like show us just enough of him to make it tempting to think he's okay, mm-hmm. but that silence makes him complicit and that's like i think that's a conversation that's been going on for decades if not centuries in this country but that is really coming to the forefront right now that there are uh, people are learning the difference between like not being vocally racist and then what it is to be actively anti-racist and while stella watches blake be like fine kind of but really not she's seeing previews of how he would react if he knew the truth about her like and that's sort of perpetually on the back burner for her right is like what if I told him maybe I could just tell him would he accept me Like, if if it was like, I'm still the same me, there's just this detail that you didn't know. And while she watches that he doesn't do anything to welcome them and he doesn't do anything to stop the violence against the neighbors, she gets, I think she gets the answer there of like, this is what he thinks about Black people, even the quote unquote, like, good ones that can live in the fancy neighborhood. Um, He's not willing to extend humanity to them or any kind of kindness. And that's... I think that just like lends into her narrative of I better keep hiding and keep passing. And how do you like, how do you do that? Um, So Stella's in L.A. with her husband and their daughter in their fancy neighborhood. And Jude, Desiree's daughter, ends up in L.A. also. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And ends up seeing Stella at a party briefly. And then befriends kennedy the daughter to try to like learn things and ultimately maybe confront stella um, which she does um outside that theater how did y'all react to those um plot coincidences
3: i know that there is sort of a sense And perhaps because I read so much science fiction and fantasy and so much fabulism (laughs) and magical realism, it's, like, easier for me to suspend my disbelief, maybe? I honestly (laughs) didn't... The coincidences were huge. (laughs) And... But I kind of took it as... This is a really difficult... To make this plot play out in a way that is both satisfying in terms of, I will admit that for however big the coincidences were, I found it satisfying when Mm -hmm. Jude met Kennedy and when Jude saw Stella. And it could as well have been, you know, Desiree seeing Stella out of the blue somewhere one day. But the fact that it was kind of removed from Desiree and it became this sort of secret... I did find that satisfying, and I liked that there was that sort of folktale aspect of, well, this probably wouldn't happen in reality, but for the sake of, selling, of telling this really complex story, I'm going to do this thing that is, <laughs> that is otherwise really hard to believe. I personally liked it, and that might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I found it really satisfying.
2: I definitely err on the side that well, a I yes, I loved it and I don't care. I really just don't. And maybe it is also as, like I said, you know, fantasy reader. But part of me is always just really stuck to the idea that truth is stranger than fiction and the more you read about history, mm-hmm. the more I, I hope that really hits you over the head. And mm-hmm. so this doesn't even seem like something, like, yes, there are several big coincidences, but these are also often the kinds of things that have happened throughout history. So I don't know, right. I didn't really find it all. I think maybe if they had both been at the mall and reached for the same like pink sweater, I might have had a bigger problem with it. But, you know, the idea idea that this one girl because really um, I guess in my mind both of these women you know Desiree maybe not necessarily necessarily through choice because she was following her husband but both of these women ultimately found themselves there because they were escaping something or maybe running Mm. too towards it I don't know but you know Jude wants to go to school and so I don't know I I didn't find it it didn't bother me in the least the way that it happened felt like okay well yeah that's a thing and I do think it is so crucial to telling the rest of the story that I was super in for that ride
1: Yeah, that's really how I felt too. Like I found myself sort of stepping outside the reading experience a couple times and being like, wow, I kind of can't believe that I'm just going along with these giant coincidences. (laughs) But I think it's a like it's a testament to how good Britt Bennett is that she's like, You believe this, and it works. And I I think that it works better as it being like sort of us seeing Desiree and Stella's lives through their daughters and through like Jude encountering Stella and then really getting to know Kennedy that we get this sense of, we already know that there are generations past living in Mallard and what that life is like and what the intention there is to have this community that I think they describe as um, like more of an idea than an actual Mm -hmm. place, um, which I thought was a wonderful line, but that it, These ideas are powerful. And as we see Jude, like, watching Stella and getting to know Kennedy, and then eventually Kennedy finding out the truth about her mother, we're seeing what the generational impact going on down is that Stella, I think, had intentions to have a life that was like bigger and better and safer for herself and that she's told herself all these years that it's better that Kennedy never know the truth about her so that then Kennedy can live as a truly white person and can also continue to trust her mother and that's going to have impact and there's a wide gap I think between especially Stella's intent and her impact and we see it through their daughters and we only get that because we get these coincidences um so i i wanted to like let myself off the hook for going along with it but i also think that bennett makes it easy to be like yeah okay this actually it could happen
2: yeah i was in so (laughs) (laughs) i love her
1: what else do y'all want to cover there's so much ground here
2: i just i mean which i think is what i want from literature is she really wove in So much thematically from the Mm. queer element and, you know, Jude's relationship to the relationship that Desiree has with the, you know, her like professor mentor at the community college and how she's, you know, on her soapbox of feminism. And then when Mm -hmm. the comment is made about like, well, what about, I think as they call them colored women, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if they want to be along for the ride and support our cause, you know, they can. She just sneaks so many other I mean, it's all intertwined and intersectional, so I don't want to say other, like it doesn't, um, it isn't the same thing, but she just throws it in there. So, throw is, is haphazard, it's it's done intentionally, but it just, the book covers such a bigger scale of issues than I was per, uh, anticipating, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much, this is like, I mean, obviously that's why we're here, but this really is an excellent book club book, because you could go on four days
3: yeah, and there are so many yeah, supporting I'm, characters also that are really interesting. Yeah. Like, there's Easy, and there's Reese, and, like, the whole cast of characters in Jude's life. And I mm-hmm. thought that Reese was particularly interesting that she has this trans character in the book. And I was trying to figure out what, uh, what part of the story Reese served in terms of the relationship between... Yeah, him, him and Jude and the whole conversation around Jude and her family and colorism. And I don't know if I ever landed on an answer, which <laughs> no. is interesting, yeah. but I thought that Reese was an interesting character and the dynamic between Jude and Reese and how Kennedy used their relationship against Jude to lash out as a form of, well... A person like that could only, would only like a lighter skinned woman, black woman mm. or a white woman.
1: Yeah, I wrestled with that and had a lot of questions about it also because I loved the relationship between jude and reese and how even in you know like 1968 when they meet when we're not having a nationwide conversation about trans rights Mm -hmm. yet um she finds out about reese's story and just is accepting and rolls with it like this is not the big deal the big deal is that she wants to support him Mm -hmm. and be part of his transition and like figure out how they can still be intimate with each other in a way that will be comfortable for him and i thought that was really beautiful. And to weave that story into a big tapestry about race and passing, like, I just had questions because I understand that the concept of passing is not... Where the trans community, where like the conversation for the trans community has gone, that like we don't talk about a trans person passing as a compliment. Like that's not the goal anymore is to successfully pass. um, Where clearly Stella's goal is to successfully pass as white. And I Googled around a ton. Like I was hoping I could find Britt Bennett talking about this. (laughs) And the, and the, the longer I've sat with it, I think the best I've got is. That there's a. I think that Reese's story serves as a contrast. That Stella is. Stella presents as something other than she is, and it's a denial of her truth, and that's poisonous and causes a lot of pain and suffering. And Reese, over the course of the story, is transforming more and more into presenting as what is true for him, and it's affirming and powerful. And it's just. Like, I wanted a little bit more, I think, there to make it a. Uh, I wanted that to be a little bit more on the page, yeah. maybe. What, yeah.
2: I definitely wanted to see more of it. I agree that it left a little bit of a like, okay, well, maybe um, the only, which I think is sort of what you just mentioned as well in a different tech, but I, him and Desiree, uh, um, Stella, both were choosing to hide and like not talk about pieces of their past, but one of them used it in a way that ended up causing a lot of hurt and also again coming from a place of hurt whereas the other still kept those secrets but then was ultimately just trying to move forward and live their life in a way that was representative of who they were but not i guess inflicting that on other people and i don't i'm not saying that's right or wrong it was just an interesting way of seeing how they coped with like really painful pasts but i did want to see it Mm -hmm. fleshed out further especially yes with the concept of you know passing as we see it now and how that definition is changed i guess there's Again, so much conversation I think you could have with that. <laughs>
3: yeah, uh. I actually think that was a really, that's a good reading of of Reese's purpose in this because you do see a lot of the pain he experiences, especially with the rapping and mm-hmm. with Jude trying to be intimate with him in the beginning and how much of an effect not being able to claim who mm-hmm. he is, is having on him and how much pain it's bringing to his life. And it's it becomes this labor of love for both of them to help Reese claim his identity. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was, I also think it would have been nice to see it more realized on the page, but I thought that that was kind of a, a tender thing they shared between them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That storyline was the one piece of the book that I was like, wow, if your book club has a moment to really go off the mm-hmm. rails. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yes. In
2: particular, too, with how, because there are those moments when, and I was actually really glad that Britt Bennett made the decision for Jude to be transparent with Reese about like, no, I am mm-hmm. indeed going, I mean, initially she denies it, but then is like, no, yes, I am definitely working at this theater <laughs> to like get to know Kennedy and like maybe confront my, you know, my aunt. But they have that moment where he's like, "What are you looking to get out of it? Like, why do you want to open the past? Like, kind of thing." Because for him, you know, so mm-hmm. much of that is something that he think he wants to just like step forward from. And she's very, she, she feels I think the opposite. Where she's like, "No, there's this huge chunk of my life missing, and I want to fill that gap." And I, as far as like you said, t- going off the rails, like you go ahead, jump, be free, like go. There's so much I think to unpack there. Yeah. Whew, That's a great. lot. Yeah, (laughs) the theme for 2020 (laughs) yeah right (laughs) and obviously like she wrote this book like you know none of what we're experiencing right now in this you know moment like you said uprising resistance what have you is like a new topic so that is uh, by no means what i'm trying to insinuate here but she obviously started writing this book before this very specific moment was like even Mm -hmm. a remote you know thing and so much of it really did feel like it was just meant to be read in this moment the talk of protests and you know how some people were uh, there it just really did feel like it, i was reading something i had to remind myself again several times that i wasn't reading something that was based in modern times because so many of the issues that i know i'm having you know discussions mm-hmm. read arguments you know with people about are <laughs> rooted in so much of what you see in that book but this was to come up you know not that long ago but still not not now and the timing of that, I think, is just like, wow.
3: Yeah, because there's that whole yeah. part where they're talking about the assassination of MLK, and yep. um, mm-hmm. Stella's husband is like, well, I don't understand why they're destroying their own communities. And you mm-hmm. hear those conversations right this mm-hmm. minute about. No, yeah you know the rioting and things like that and so it you're right it did feel very very timely you could have imagined that it was written in response to this moment but that's that's the point that this has been yeah. happening and happening and happening mm-hmm. and it's a cycle and there is no stopping the fighting against what's happening in the world yeah. and racism and how yeah. people are treated how black people are treated so
2: The only thing that like, sorry, (laughs) that is just a tiny tidbit that like reminded me for a second that it was a book set, at least in this particular chapter and what like the 60s, 70s, is that when Jude is discussing or meets, I think, Kennedy right in that first scene at the party that she's like, oh, so what, you know, what do you i don't know how come what do you do or what are you doing she's like oh, i go to ucla and then kennedy's like oh i go to southern california and i'm so funny story Sharifa <laughs> went to ucla i went to sc and i were being like why didn't you just say sc like who says southern california and i got kind of like biffy about it and then oh went oh wait this wasn't like this this is a long time ago they probably were calling it southern california like, and then i shut myself up <laughs> random tidbit for you
1: uh, maybe that's like the one detail that Britt Bennett didn't check. No, was, we I mean, caught it. I'm
2: sure back then they people really were just calling it Southern California. But in my mind, <laughs> I was like, I would like, you know, when I told three where I went, I was like, I went to the University of Southern California. I was like, oh, you went to UCLA. I went to SC. Like, and, yeah. So I was getting stupid protected from the cult of the USC Trojans. And, uh, it's so no.
1: funny. <laughs> yeah, I I think just to go back to something you said earlier in the discussion, Sharifa, that as people are talking about specifically what anti-racist reading is now, there's been, like, we're seeing bestseller lists that are full of really great, important nonfiction about, like, the history of racism, what white supremacy is, how to be an anti-racist, but it's a much bigger concept than that. And I'm starting to see this book appear now on lists of, like, books for your book club to read to be anti-racist, but the (laughs) idea of just under like being willing to explore and understand and unpack not just what's happening in this moment, but as you said, all of the moments that have happened already in a cycle um, or really just in a a timeline of never-ending violence against Black people and that there are just a multitude of these stories to read and to unpack because of that um, is really powerful and that's part of our anti-racist work as well is Doing the thing that a novel invites and asks us to do by experiencing someone else's story and believing it and exploring what that reality would be like. yeah, um, there's this moment when uh, when Jude is telling Kennedy the the truth um about how Stella's been lying to her, and she says, "Your mother's crazy. She's been lying to you your whole life." And I felt like, especially in light of what's happening right now and how we're really being asked to look at and reckon with what life as a black person is like in America and what it's been like, Mm -hmm. the like sort of the question that Bennett never quite asks, but that underlays the whole story is like, is it crazy, though? Like, what's crazier trying to pass as white or willingly accepting what this society has given Black people as their lives. And that's, like, take that to your book.
3: Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. (laughs) a huge conversation, too. I feel like there are lots of levels to the conversation in this book between, I imagine, you know, a a non-Black person reading this and thinking about the nuances of these conversations and what, passing must look like and what it must mean for mm-hmm. black people and then black people also considering what it means when one of their own tries to pass and try and tries to claim whiteness and i think that it's a really on either side it's a really tough consideration because then you also do have to consider internalized racism and colorism and the ways in which we tell our own that they are perhaps even more in danger because they are darker. And so we it feeds into this idea that the only way you can be safe in this world is to claim whiteness or have the privileges of white people. And I think with Stella, you see that in that. The things she's working toward aren't working toward claiming the same level of privilege white people get for the black community. It is passing so that she can claim it for herself without having to mm-hmm. do the work of mm-hmm. of helping and uplifting her community so that we all get equal rights. Um, and that's a really tough thing. It's a really tough thing because there are dangers of living in this world as a black person. And she saw it realized very young. And I think that that's something I'm going to be thinking about for a really long time.
2: That's um, I would love in particular to put this and not to, you know, take away from the conversation, but hopefully add to it that so many of the conversations that I know I'm having as, a, you know a Latina and I think a lot of other folks are having in different minority communities that are also struggling to confront their own internalized colorism and, and just flat out racism is uh still building on that concept of passing that I know I can speak you know not for all but it is a very very common thread in like the Latinx community that it's sort of just like a mentality that if you put your head down and like don't make noise and essentially start to quote-unquote pass but us having the benefit that for a lot of latinos we are just lighter skin not all obviously (laughs) but you know thank you spain and that (laughs) conversation has gotten really muddy because there is so much of that choosing quote-unquote to adopt whiteness and then assuming that if you do that and act a certain way and sort of assimilate that that's going to solve all the world's problems and then getting so caught up in that mentality that you then can't see it when like black people are out here trying to tell you like this is you know we can't take our skin off (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that I just really do want to put this book in so many people's hands because it is obviously very much an issue that you know this book is is trying to tell us something very important and uncomfortable that I really hope more than just people who identify as you know white would would stop to consider that it isn't by no means just a issue for white black like it's uh, I, I feel like I get tongue tied when I'm talking about this, but uh, this issue exists in other marginalized communities. <laughs> like it's the mm-hmm. victimhood Olympics. I think get kind of funky, and I really, really hope someone would look at this kind of story and understand that there is a reason ultimately. And this is the part where I have to take my anger out of it sometimes and realize that people in you know older generations decided to quote unquote you know adopt whiteness for some of the same reasons that Stella does as a me- you know method of protection. But it's hard to unpack and discuss, and I hope conversations like the ones that this book lends itself to will make it clear like why that choice is made, but also why we need to try to move forward from it. I, ugh, it's just so much.
1: Yeah, when at the end, when Desiree and Stella are finally talking and Stella's explaining her decision to Desiree, and she says, like, I met this man, I just liked who I was when I was with him. And Stella says white or sorry, Desiree says white and Stella says no free. I thought, Uh, yeah, like that's so telling in that two word sentence that Stella has this moment with Blake when she's young and it looks like this is how she's going to get her liberation is go live her life as a white woman and be in the white world. And we, we get to see for like, you know, 350 pages that she does not feel free Mm -hmm. at all. Um, And it's a real, I think you're, I think you're right, Vanessa, exactly that. This is a real urge, like that Bennett is pushing us to look at like that old axiom. That's so true that nobody is free until all of us are free. And that, a black person who's who's like only way to approach freedom is to try to live as white. Like that's not what freedom no. <laughs> looks like. <laughs> it's not a good option. It is poisonous
2: and the model minority thing. And yeah,
1: yeah, right. Yeah. There's so much. And Sharifa, I loved what you said there too, that like you could have a book club of, you, you could be all like suburban white mm-hmm. ladies having a book club and find a lot to unpack here. And I think that um, there's, just as much for groups of Black readers and then hopefully book clubs that are diverse um, and made of all different kinds of readers to like share their experiences and and to take apart from what Brit Bennett does here. There's a lot. Yeah. There's
2: this one quote. Did I highlight it? I'm sorry, go ahead while I find this quote. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say I would
3: be really interested as well because whenever I come across books that are sometimes explicitly about race and about being black in america i always think about what the conversation as well would be between the generational divide of the african american community because you know as somebody who grew yeah. up with uh, with a black father even there the differences between the conversations younger generations of black americans are having right now and the conversations i remember You know, my dad having, they're so different. And I don't think there was as much conversation about some of the nuances of racism. So it would be really interesting, personally, for me to to hear what that conversation is. Let's put
2: all our dads this. in the room and see how it oh goes. Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs>
3: Maybe I wouldn't
1: want to. Read this book with your parents <laughs> and tell us how it goes.
2: <laughs> the um, quote that I wanted to find definitely thinking about people, non-Black people that are reading, and really now, I guess, even in like your works to hopefully you know work for social justice and work against white supremacy, the quote uh, where... I think, I don't know if it's the first meeting or one of the, the, you know, several, but where Stella goes over to Loretta's house. And I forget how this exactly comes up, but I highlighted that Loretta says, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure Stella makes some kind of a face. And Loretta says, like, you think I want your guilt? Your guilt can do nothing for Mm -hmm. me. You want to go about feeling bad? You can go ahead and do that from across the street. And Mm -hmm. I really hope that that I like that Brit isn't trying to make you feel better about your choice to hopefully be an anti-racist. Like you, obviously we should all work towards it, but asking folks to examine that like, if all you're going to do is come here and like, try to feel like a better person for showing me your guilt, that's not enough work. Like there's more work to be done. And I hope people will read the book with that message in mind. Ah, uh, I love her.
1: Any other final words, ladies?
3: I just uh, think this was an amazing read. I I do always have that sense of, because I do not read as much literary fiction as much anymore, but I know that the endings aren't, it's not always about the beginning, middle, and end, but (laughs) I was just like... But wait, no, this can't, you can't just end here. Like, I want to know. Like, I know it happens a little bit more in Kennedy's life. I want to know what happens to Jude. I already feel like she's kind of on the road to success. And that made me really mm-hmm. happy because, again, this could have – I was afraid of reading another book which happens a lot in publishing because it's very popular where all of the black characters end tragically as some sort of message. Mm -hmm. And I just found it really at least inspiring and uplifting that Jude does go on to pursue her medical degree and she kind of does what Stella had always wanted to do, which was actually go to school make something of herself without having to make those compromises and without having to poison herself with toxicity in that way. So I was, I was just completely blown over by this book. I'm really glad that it exists in the world and that there are uplifting moments. And of course, there is some tragedy. But that's that's bound to happen in a book that is about this subject matter.
1: Well, thank you both for this conversation and for reading this with me, especially right now. (laughs) Um, And thank you to our insiders for voting for this pick. Um, You put us to a good challenge and we hope that you all have, you know, plenty of spoilers and food for thought and we'd love to hear about it um if you have also read the vanishing half if you have book clubbed it let us know podcast at bookriot.com you can find show notes as always at bookriot.com slash listen sharifa and vanessa thank you so thank much
3: you. yeah thank you